As many of you all know, Ram Windows is a brand partner of ours. We exclusively use their windows or one of the window brands that they sell on every project we build. And as we began to form that partnership with them, I had the opportunity to get to know their president, Eric Spence. And one of the things that is abundantly evident when you get a little time with Eric is his absolute devotion to his team, to his company, and to the craft of building. I learned something from the guy every time we visit. So I asked Eric to come on the show to share some of that knowledge with you all. Our topics today range from leadership to emerging window science and a lot in between. I'm excited to put this interview out there. I hope you all enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Lowe's and their Lowe's for Pros program. I've been a customer of Lowe's for years, and I've also been a big fan of theirs given what they're doing to help contractors within our industry, something that, as you all know, aligns with my mission. Now, this Lowe's for Pros program is absolutely something worth checking out. My company's enrolled in it. We love it. It gives us access to things like quick ordering, bulk savings, special deals, spending tracking, financing solutions, the list goes on. Check out the link in the show notes, or you can search Lowe's for Pros to learn more about these programs, perks, and incentives that Lowe's is offering to help builders and contractors like you and me. Before we start, a quick word about Ram Windows, a brand partner we use in just about every home we build. These are sleek, energy-efficient, long-standing aluminum windows that I think are the best value out there, period. That's why we use them. These windows are nice enough to put in the three to $5 million homes we build, but they're also priced so that a range of budgets can afford them. And beyond the windows, one of my favorite things about the company They are proudly made right here in the great state of Texas. And y'all know how we do things around here. Not that I'm biased or anything. If you happen to be in the Lone Star State, come visit, check them out for yourself in either their Houston, Dallas, or Austin showroom. You can also check them out online, ramwindows.com. That's R-A-M windows.com. They can ship just about anywhere also. Tell them I sent you. So, all right, Eric, let's start with your background. So, obviously, you're the head of RAM now. You came up in uh, in Ohio, and you had, uh, I think, what, 20 years with Jeldwin? Or? Yes. So, yes. I'd love to just hear kind of from, from the beginning, as far back as you want to <laughs> go, I'd like to just hear kind of how the, how the ascension to where you are right now, how that played out. Uh, well, 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 thank you, Jared. First of all, again, thank you for having me. Uh, I started in the business uh, right out of college in 1983. I didn't even know what a window was. I just needed a job, and they were hiring. So I, I kind of started so right you signed out. Up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I can build that. You know, so yeah. I took it from there. And uh, uh, as you had mentioned, I started my career with Gerald Wynn. Uh, when Gerald Wynn 
Uh, I started with Gelwin in 1983. They were only about a $70 million company, had 1,200 employees and nine little uh, sawmill manufacturing plants around the country. And by the time I I'd left Gelwin in 2010, they were a $4.7 billion company. So I, I, I got the benefit of, of being part of an organization that just you know took off like a rocket ship as well, too, and learned a lot about the business and the process. So, were you all based out of Ohio? Uh, we were not. The company was actually based out of Klamath Falls, Oregon, and started as a little sawmill in the middle of Pine Country out oh, wow. in okay. Oregon. But they had a, a uh, an assembly plant in Mount Vernon, Ohio, and that's where I started. Uh, the founder of Gerald Wynn was a fellow by the name of Richard Wint. Dick was just an innovator in the industry. And at the time, most of the windows built were actually made of wood And after World War II. Uh, so much of the industry really came out of the Second World War, building crates for military equipment and so forth. And after the, the war, these same companies that were building crates and pallets for the military effort started building sash and doors. And most of it was in the timber country in the upper Midwest. And uh, as that timber somewhat played out, several of the innovators, and Dick was actually from um, Dubuque, Iowa, and a lot of the old mill companies and some of the biggest names in the industry, uh, for example, like Marvin Anderson, were all in that uh, Minnesota, uh, northern Wisconsin, Iowa, Pella, from Pella, Iowa, because that's where the trees were, that's where the manufacturing was. As that timber played out, several manufacturers went out west because it was ample availability of ponderosa pine. It was very, very similar to northern white pine, uh, but as you looked at the turn of the century, most of it was New England white, then it went to the upper Midwest, then it moved and gravitated out towards the west where Mm -hmm. cheap lumber was available. So, okay. and, and Dick moved the company out to uh, uh, Klamath Falls, Oregon. And then his, his idea was rather than ship logs back to manufacturing, he would process finished parts. So they would make styles, rails, panels, frames, uh, uh, ship them in cars back to the east, and then assemble them in the finished door and window products. Because when you ship a log, you're shipping about 35% waste in mm-hmm. air. When you finish a finished goods, you actually you would you cube the truck out with gross weight rather than cubic footage with a wall. So that's kind of how it all started, and several of the companies went that okay. direction as well too. So I guess that's how I got being a Midwest guy. That's where all the yeah. windows and doors were made, where I started my career with Geldwin. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then from Geldwin, did you have any interim stops, or did you go straight from there to Ram? Uh, I didn't. I, I had an interim stop with a company called uh, Plygem. It's now part of the Cornerstone Group, and they are the uh, the largest manufacturer of windows and doors in North America. Yeah. And uh, Jeldwin became one of the largest. So I've had the benefit of working for two of the the, the, the the largest manufacturers in the country. One more focused on wood. The other one more focused on. On, on plastic as well too is, is you know 80% of the windows sold in this country are made of vinyl or yeah. plastic polyvinyl chloride whichever one you want and a lot of the guys don't like the term plastic it has yeah. a bad con- connotation to it but and Plygem has acquired they built a lot of their factories organically but they also uh, were, were 
inquisitive in that they they purchased Silverline, they purchased Atrian, they purchased Simonton, and they built a, a pretty nice portfolio of companies. Now they're over two billion dollars in window sales in North America. Wow! So, what are the largest companies right now? By well, size. It, it, you know, the the interesting thing about Gerald Wynn and Plygem is they're publicly traded. So you can see the numbers on yeah. those. But a lot of the major manufacturers are still family-owned business. That's what Gerald Wynn was a family-owned business until 2011. They started in, in, in 1960. And so for their first first 50 plus years, they were they were a family-owned business. So they didn't report their, their size. Same is true today. If you look at Anderson, one of the largest window manufacturers out there, uh, they're family-owned business. So they're, so still they, private, they're, they're still private, correct? They're still private. Pella's still private. The Marvin, if you look at Marvin, Weathershield, these are all family-owned businesses. So some of the Colby, some of the best names in the industry are still family business, and they keep their, their books and their information pretty tight to their chest. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. So how did you come into RAM then, eventually? Well, Jared, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, uh, being a senior vice president of sales and marketing for two very large companies that are publicly traded as well, too. There's a lot of administrative work that goes into, and you spend a lot of time, um, I guess, uh, catering to the institutional investors as opposed to really going out there and rolling your sleeves up and doing some work and, and, and building a business and, and building a business sure. and getting to know the end users and the customers and feeling like you're making a difference. So I reached a point in my career where, where I wanted to do something a little bit smaller, more entrepreneurial and, and Ram was a, was a good, uh, a good venue for me to do that. I was, uh, Ram is owned by, uh, the original uh, founder of the company and a couple private equity partners and they recruited me to come down and and we struck a deal and it allowed me to to buy into the company and and do something on on I want to say small but really where I could make a difference you know we only have a hundred employees and we're, we're growing we're building our own products having a lot of fun and I really feel like I'm making a difference yeah well I mean, I have, uh, we've been using RAM for, I guess, about probably four or five years now. But I mean, you guys, at least from my outsider's perspective, y'all came strong onto the scene and y'all are growing a lot. And I don't, how long have you been at the company? I've been with RAM now for three years. I'm just okay. starting my third full year. And RAM has an interesting uh, business platform. Most, most companies are either a manufacturer or they're a distributor. What makes RAM unique is we do both. We manufacture our own thermally broken aluminum windows and we distribute other people's high-end products as well too. So we feel like we can provide the right fenestration solution for you, whether you want more of a value product or you want something, uh, the warmth and beauty of wood, or you want something that's ultra modern, uh, large and chic, which is our really our bread and butter on the RAM product. We feel yeah. we can provide all those products and services uh, yeah. for the custom builder. Well, and that's my, um, uh, my experience as well, or my company's experience. I mean, we, I think we use, Carrie's sitting here with us, but we probably go with RAM, the actual RAM product, probably what, 80, 80, 90% of the time. And yeah. then, and then we, um, and then we'll go with some of y'all's other distributed brands or products, Sierra Pacific. I know we did on our Kenwood house. And if we don't have the budget every once in a while, we'll go down to, I think something else. 
But so coming back to your, your experience Mm -hmm. before Ram and then leading up to Ram, um, I mean, one of the things you and I share in common, we're sitting here going back and forth on Henry Ford quotes before, before we start, turned on the mic. Um, what are some of the leadership lessons that you had learned that you, you brought to Ram or that, that really were kind of integral or central to you that you felt you, you wanted to employ with your new post? Well, I think something that, that is, is, has always served me well. And I, I learned from people who I had a lot of respect for and had a lot of success in the industry. And that is surround yourself with really good people and let them do their job. Yeah. Amen to that. That is one of my favorite business authors of, of, uh, all time is, uh, Jim Collins. I'm sure you've read his book and that's one of his core principles is get a plus the right people in the right seats and get those A plus players in the right seats. And that's, you know, majority of the issue. And that's what we really tried to do. Uh, You know, being a, a somewhat of a smaller manufacturer that allows us to be quick to market. We have a very small design crew, but, but we do have a very talented crew. We get a lot of feedback from folks like Carrie out in the industry and folks like yourself, Jared, hey, what do you really need or what, what are you lacking in in your other suppliers out there? And so we take that information and we, we try to build that into our products. And and we, we've had the benefit, I, I of lack of a better term of being small so that we we can take the attitude why can't we do it and why can't we do it better and yeah. here's how we'll do it because we haven't done it before so let's just figure out a way to do it better and then try to find those solutions out there that really separate us from the rest of the business as well too we we look at it for example a lot of windows depending on the material science you can only build windows so big. I mean, mm-hmm. you can only glass is only fabricated to certain dimensions. Um, glass, wood, aluminum. The beauty of that material science is everything has unique physical characteristics that that you have to that you engineer and you have to go by. A piece of glass can only be so big um, and can withstand so much wind load or shear strength. All those kinds of things, and and we look at it and say, well how do we build it bigger or how can we make it look this shape or do those kinds of things? Because we just try to buck the trends all we want and take it to the next level. How do we build it better, faster, bigger, stronger, et cetera. So it's been a lot of fun doing that. When when you work for a big organization and I have a lot of respect for the companies I used to work for, you get focused on, this is our core business. This is what we do. We build 3050 windows and we're going to build it better and cheaper than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Whereas that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do. You guys can be a little more nimble, a little bit more innovative in what you're, what you're doing. Well, we hope that's, that's what we're accomplishing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of that, I mean, so you guys are just rolling out. It's public now, right? We can talk yes. about this. So, so you're rolling out your doors. So that's one new level of innovation, which for me, so normally we're going with Ram window package and then Western door package which is what's been kind of the common thing probably for a lot of your clients besides just us. And now we got this, this Ram door solution, which is really nice. So I love Western products, but I mean, I think uh, we're probably going to be pushing more Ram doors for the most part now. Right. And it, it just seems like uh, a really interesting innovation that you guys um, 
are are putting into place. Can we talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Love to. Uh, uh, you had mentioned uh, uh, Western uh, Window and Door Systems. They're, they're a wonderful company. They've been an industry leader and innovator. They're a wonderful partner. We love selling their products, but we wanted to do something in addition to the Western doors that, that we sell. We're, we're a manufacturer. We want to make unique products, the, the, the RAM, so we can offer the best of both worlds. We can we continue to distribute Western products, but we wanted to have our own RAM branded products as well, too. And um, uh, we just looked at some available designs that were out there and, and how can we improve upon them and make them uniquely ours. And, and our core business is Texas. And we're very proud of being Texas manufacturer. We buy our extrusions from Texas. We buy our glass for Texas. We, we fabricate the, the windows in Texas. And most of the product is sold to, to builders, contractors, and developers in Texas for Texans. So we, we Texas feel born. Texas that, proud. Exactly. Very much so. And we put uh, proud to be manufactured in Texas on all of our products. So yeah. we're very excited about uh, the line of products that we're rolling out. We have multi-slide doors standard sliding doors, swinging doors, bifolding doors, pivot doors. We have a complete line. And then uh, our legacy products include picture windows, casements, uh, single hung, and horizontal sliding windows. So we have a full line of, of RAM designed and manufactured here in Texas products. Yeah. What do you all feel is some of the differentiating factors with your new doors that you've rolled out? compared to some of the other options on the market. What are some of those things that, you know, clients like, like us might find of a value or better? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's, there's lots of things that we were trying to accomplish in our design. First off is, is aesthetics. We wanted a product that, that we think is, is beautiful, has narrow lines, clean lines, very modern construction. Uh, we worked real hard to not have any surface located screws so that all the lines aren't broken up. It's clean, uh, square sticking on it as well, too. And then we wanted to utilize all the available technology that's out there today. How can we make these windows perform better, not only in terms of design pressures, wind, air, water, structural pressures, but also thermal performance? As energy codes become more and more important and people are driving driving to whether it's net neutral or net carbon neutral what you know we we have to take what the the best material science is out there and, and build it into our windows and doors and we think we did that as well too so uh the beauty of aluminum is that it's it's strong the the disadvantage of aluminum is it's metal so it conducts so you have to do certain things to to make it a better insulating product and one of the new technologies in the last couple of years that's come out is what they call thermal struts it was designed by a company out of germany called Insinger, and it's it's basically a carbon fiber strip or insulation bar that's as strong as aluminum, and you what they call stitch it together into two aluminum parts. That makes aluminum not only thermally broken, which is better than the old pour and debridges, but it also makes it more structurally sound. So you can thermal break the product, add strength to the product as well too. Plus, it's a nice looking product. It's, it, it, it is expensive, but it makes for a better looking product as well, too. Sure. 
Well, and speaking of that, so I mean, some of the times that you and I have visited in the past, we've talked about kind of different uh, innovations in the industry where where the industry might be going, where we're lacking right now, and and you I think have a pretty good perspective on that. Specific to Windows, I don't know if we've talked about that before. Where do you see Windows going over the next decade? Where are we lacking? Where could we get better as an industry with Windows? You know, the entire frustration industry is 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 been pretty traditional over the years. And what I mean by that, if you go back to Virginia and you go to Monticello and look at Thomas Jefferson's home, he had double hung wood double hung windows in his house and today you can still buy wood double hung windows now it'll have insulated glass the lumber's treated a little bit better it might have an aluminum clad versus just a regular paint on the surface but really it's the same type of products today that that was over 200 years ago that are out there so but that as we talked a little bit earlier about material sciences uh in 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 the the materials that the the frames are made out of uh the glass is made out of the the durability of the weather strip uh hardware all those things the innovations with stainless steel and all that has made the material science has changed a lot especially in the last 20 years it's improved the product the key is is where's the 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 cost benefit ratio there's lots of fun stuff that we can talk about that you can do on glass coatings and actually electrostatically charging inner gases inside the gas inside the the, the actual ig window itself uh, as i mentioned thermal struts that you can just keep building them up packing them so that you can continue to get the r and u value the r values up the u values down uh wind and air filtration numbers down down. it's all that is it gets expensive and it's where's the return on your energy value that you have to answer as well too but to, to that was a long-winded answer to a very specific question I, I i see the energy codes being forced upon the manufacturers well we're going to keep having to make products that are better and more energy efficient and i think that's good for the whole industry yeah well it's uh it's interesting because you talk about, it sounds like we've got solutions that sometimes just aren't implemented very frequently because of the, that cost benefit. Mm-hmm. I had a guy named Brian Potter on the podcast just a few weeks ago, and, and he's got a, a blog where he talks about kind of innovation and construction. And um, one of the things he and I were talking about is you've got this, it's a unfortunate but but very prevalent situation in our industry where most progress is incremental Mm -hmm. and the idea is that we've got incremental progress versus exponential and it's really necessarily so because the cost of failure if you the cost of these projects that we're we're taking on and if you try to go with some crazy new solution so if i go do one of my next projects where i decide i'm going to try to 3d print the house you know, and, uh, and we're talking about a, a $2 million budget and we decide rather than tr- traditional stick framing, we're going to 3d print the house. Um, it, it, well, I mean, we're, we're too early in this technology, but let's kind of speak a little hypothetically mm-hmm. say we're even a little more advanced. It technically could 
could maybe work out and save some save some money. But if something goes wrong, the cost of that error is gigantic. And so it keeps builders and contractors like me from adopting these really innovative solutions for the most part. And we just tick up that ladder just a little bit. Uh, and that's and that's one theory, whether it's right or wrong. I, I would I'd welcome your criticism of that if if you disagree. But that's one theory about why innovation in construction is not very often exponential, like what we're seeing in other right. industries. Tying that back to Windows, do you see that play out? Yeah, I do, and and it gets back to uh, necessity is the mother of all inventions. When when we're kind of forced to react, I think we'll react quick, yeah. but we'll need to be forced into it as well. Whether that's through legislation or uh, innovation, somebody makes a game changer, and so we all have to react to it as well too. And so that and and those have been relatively rare in the construction industry when you look about home building itself it is a major economic factor in the united states home building is one of the largest industries in the country i mean when you talk about all the major corporations that build building components all the home builders that are out there i mean everybody has to have a place to live right and there is there is a lot of demand for housing unmet demand and we can even get into affordable housing that's a whole nother topic just demand on on expensive housing is still very strong but when you look at the way that we build a house today versus maybe how we did it 30 years ago and you look at any major industry out there there's been innovations in cost takeout they're much more efficient at building refrigerators cars airplanes uh anything home building is one of the few industries that's actually become less efficient in the last 30 years which is all the breakthroughs in technologies is hard to believe there is a lot of innovation in home building that 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 will probably be coming out because at some point in time we have to take cost out of the building process and and labor land government regulation or or some of the most expensive things that are that are affecting housing pricing all those things are changeable yeah well and and that might be societally one of the largest issues that we could address if you can pull the cost of housing down if you're looking at like the average american's income i mean and it's a pie chart the amount that we spend I mean, on average, on housing is just an absurd amount of our paycheck. So if we could figure out how to get that down, I think it indirectly starts solving a lot of societal issues. How do you view that playing out? How can that happen? I mean, I I know we've talked a little bit about like how modular housing in Europe is a little Mm -hmm. bit more prevalent. Is that a solution? Is something like that going to come into play in the future? Is it going to be this 3D printing starts to figure out how to take its place in practice or i don't know what do you see well i i think you're absolutely right i th- i think that the the modular uh manufacturing will come into its own it's starting as you mentioned it's coming into its own in europe uh a lot of that's driven by uh 
available lump of labor, excuse me, that, that's out there and, and skilled labor in Europe, skilled labor is very expensive. It's readily available on, on and, and even though it's becoming more and more expensive here in, in the U.S., it's still relatively cheap consider on a global scale. And it's also about uh, quality control as well, too. If you build either components or modular components in a factory, you can not only drive efficiency that way, but you can take a lot of cost out, and you can also maintain a little higher quality of the product. Uh, there's that, that I guess, that craftsman mentality we think of, of, of building on site and customizing it, and that's kind of our core as, as builders. But the truth of the matter is you, you wouldn't build an airplane or an automobile on site, but a home is the single largest purchase most of us will ever make, and and we build it as a as a craftsman rather than as a, as a controlled uh, a product as well too in a controlled environment. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it, for me, it feels like there's so much opportunity and low hanging fruit. We just we're not there yet. And going back to I mentioned this with my conversation with Brian, it's like. Uh, 3d printing is a fascinating technology. Um, but right now this is no judgment towards, I mean, the people who are trying to tackle that problem, there's, in fact, there's a local company here in Austin. I mean, my hat's off to them, but what we're printing right now are like the walls and Mm -hmm. we got to start somewhere. But my, my pessimist argument is that, all right, so we're, we're figuring out how to print the walls. That's the easiest, fastest part of the house to assemble. I can have walls up in you know in a, a week mm-hmm. on our homes. I mean, let's figure out figure out how to print the uh, the foundation and the plumbing rough. Now we're now we're talking like now we're solving something at least in my world. And um, I'm, it's easy to be the skeptic and and cast judgment on things like this. But that's what I what I worry about is that it feels like we got so much more to overcome to get some of these technologies to where they truly are making a difference. And like what you're talking about, driving the, um, the cost of living down, which is such an important problem to solve, but maybe we're a little bit closer than what I think. Well, I'd like to think so as well too. And and it's where, you know, it needs to be practical and economical. There's a lot of technology that's out there that you can make it better, but it's that, 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 cause and benefit relationship yeah we can put another thousand dollars into this and it'll be a fantastic product indestructible product that will perform great but then it becomes cost prohibitive as well too but those things always work out uh, if you go back and i guess compare it to the window industry and you, you go back 50 years ago uh, majority of windows weren't even insulated glass. Insulated glass was a relatively new technology. It was expensive and, and, you know, it just didn't make sense. Well, I'll just have what they called SSB single strength glass window and I'll put a storm sash over it and get the same thing. And it's so much cheaper than insulated glass. Uh, lo and behold, companies like GED and a few other guys and PPG came out with a way to effectively make uh, extruded spacers cheap and also take labor out the equipment was automated next thing you know you fast forward another 10 years insulated glass is cheap and so it became industry standard 
And then, you know, the guys were looking at like thermoses and things like that and said, wow, you know, it's interesting that this glass inside this metal thermos keeps my soup hot or my coffee hot, you know, all day long. Well, the same principles, they say, well, let's apply silver on the glass. And at first, if you turn, put silver onto a glass, it becomes a mirror. <laughs> well, that's not good. I want to see out the windows as well, too. They, find, they found a way to, to sputter coat uh, small micro uh, uh, particles of silver onto the glass that, from the, the look, is, is completely transparent, but yet it has insulation value as well, too. And so that came, those technologies come out in the industry. And at first, the first uh, low emissivity glass was too expensive. Like, great, you know, my my R value goes from a two to a five, for example, but it costs twice as much. Energy's cheap, so I don't want to pay for it. Fast forward, energy's more expensive. There's lots of guys making the sputter coat glass now. Price comes down. Now it's standard. You can't even buy a piece of insulated a window without insulated glass with silver coatings. Those types of technologies, I feel, Jared, will keep coming out. Uh, the, the major paradigm shift in, in glass, just if we just look at glass, is, is vacuum sealed glass. It, it basically triples the energy efficiencies of, of, of what normal insulated glass is. But it, it's, it's also very expensive to manufacture. The, the patents are now to the point where they're old enough. Other people can somewhat copy the technology. You'll have a lot more people making vacuum sealed glass. There's been so much demand for um, really the grocery business. It, rechanging all when you walk up and down your your grocery store and you open the doors up they spend a phenomenal amount of money on energy because it's cool you're open and closing all day long so they found ways with those glass you know put the lighting behind it so you don't have to open the, when you walk in front of the glass turns oh, okay. on most of that the the, the, that the grocery store has bought up most of the the available capacity really? of vacuum sealed glass because they have a much faster return on investment for those energy savings than the average consumer. But that's going to be the net. That that vacuum sealed glass is going to be where it's it's cost prohibitive now where you look at a, a window that has, say, a, a large window has 20 square feet of glass in it. At $25 a square feet of glass, you just raise the window price of one window up four to $500. It just doesn't make economic sense. That will eventually change. As that price goes down, energy is going to get more expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, the, That's when it will be a paradigm shift, and, and most manufacturers will start making vacuum-insulated glass. And that's one technology that I see that is on the horizon. I can't say if it'll be a year from now. That was my next question. Or 10 years from now. But, <laughs> but my, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Well, and probably one of the big things is when that patent starts to burn off, I would imagine. But sure. You're saying that's coming up sooner than later. Well, in in, in the lifespan on, on vacuum sealed glass is long too. So eventually all these grocery stores are going to get 
changed out. Yeah. So they're going to want to sell their product to other people. And the biggest user of flat glass, the biggest user of flat glass in the entire country is the fenestration industry, the window and door industry. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, my old alma mater, Plygem, is the largest consumer of flat glass in, in North America. Really? And, and that's, and eventually that same manufacturing demand will be on, in my opinion, either the vacuum sealed or another technology that, that, that guys are working on right now that they're trying to, to, um, scale uh-huh. where it's an affordable tech that may already surpass vacuum by the time vacuum comes out there could be another technology that, that quite frankly came out of aerospace industry or something along those lines that we haven't even we don't know exists right now but yeah. it will come okay that's encouraging that's encouraging to hear if you were building your own house right now mm-hmm. i'm curious what systems products obviously ran windows <laughs> we'll, what what else um what else would you be putting in? What sort of systems? Well, mine would probably be a little odd because... That's okay. That's, that makes for better conversation. Yeah. Let's go down that rabbit hole. You know, when you look at the technologies that are out there that are available, there's photosensitive glass. So yeah. if you have a large western-facing uh, exposure, you might want to look at it. And again, we talked about price versus benefit the photosensitive glasses are really cool hip they work might have a western exposure that's out here because in in august and seven o'clock in the afternoon you want to sit you know in front of your windows and you know that sun just bakes you on the inside mm-hmm. so having but in the, in, when the sun sets you don't want that dark tint i mean the way to do it is okay i'll tint the windows dark well, you know, it's great during the day, but at night you can't see out the dark tent. Mm-hmm. So the photosensitive glass are great, you know, during when, when you need it to be sensitive to the sun, it is. And when you don't, it's not. Is that commercially available? It, it is. It, and there's other ways that you can do it as well, too. There's ways that you can um, obscure the glass. You can put, you know, one of the ways to, to have better insulating glass is to put inert gases in. The most common is, is argon. Everybody's heard of argon. But there's, there's, there's krypton is actually even better than that. It's a little heavier. It's still transparent. And you can electrostatically charge that so it actually makes the glass obscure. So you can just turn a dial and say it could be partially or it can be full opaque as well, too, by just electrostatically charging it. And then you can do that and couple that on top of photosensitive glass coatings that can reflect the heat Mm -hmm. as well, too. So with the control of a switch, you can have your windows light, dark, obscure, or clear. Is each each window switched or... Yes, you would have to individually switch each, each windows window, yeah. or, or tie it all together on a panel location, okay. but you would have to have a, a power source to each one of those windows. So there's a lot of fun technologies on, on that. And, and you know, now uh, you have four coats of silver, quad silver. It's available now, super high insulation value. Uh, it does have a little bit of different tinting on the glass, but today uh, – our standard offering is a Cardinal Low E366, which is a triple silver. It's a fantastic product, good R value, hits energy codes. Lots of, of quality manufacturers use that type of glass. But 
I would have probably certain coatings on glass based on the room it's in and the sun exposure. Yeah. And, and, and I think more people would actually do that, but they just don't know that these technologies yeah. and a lot of manufacturers, it's like pick your poison because we want to say, what do you want? Do you want quad silver? You want triple? You just want regular glass? Do you want a gas, non-gas? And as a manufacturer, we want to simplify our lives. So we want to do one, sure, one, one type for your entire package. But if you really want to look at how can I really make this house better and just in, instead of spending a ton of money to, to do the entire house package, maybe it's just one exposure, a southern or western exposure that you should have a certain type of coating that you pay for that you're going to get a return on investment and you may not get it in the other rooms. Does Ram offer this photosensitive glass? Uh, we we can. We do not. We've had people. We most of the time it's been uh, inquired, yeah. and when we share the cost, they say, "No, I'll just stick with the the, <laughs> the Cardinal OE three sixty six. It's proven technology. It works great. It's Energy Star rating. Hits all the U values, R values. It's quiet. It's reliable. Yeah. And when you start talking about literally two and three X." To go to some of these products, it, it, again, that the technology is expensive. Fast forward 20 years from now, it, it might cost you 10, 15% to upgrade, but now it, it's basically it's doubling your price. And so the payback period on that would be quite a while. It, it, it is quite a while. And I think there's also the, the, the conservative side of it. Uh, and the, the home building industry is ultra conservative. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we want tried and true technologies. Mm-hmm. Innovation and breakthrough technologies are cool to talk about, but I'll let the other guy test it first. And if it works really well, then I'll put it in my next house, but I don't want to be the guinea pig on this one. So that I think that naturally stymies a little available innovation as as well, too. But but yeah, you know, when when you have some of this technology and you're talking about putting energy sources to windows and having controls, rheostats, you're adding a lot of complexity that a lot of people don't want. It's yeah. the old keep it simple, stupid technology, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is that's our industry. That's what drives our industry. You know, find a technology that's reliable, works well, and you can take some cost out of the house. I'll buy it. Well, that, I mean, so as cool as that sounds to me, we could never put that in any of our spec homes because of the cost. And so uh, our best hope would be just finding one of our, every once in a while, you'll get somebody who's building a home who just wants to be a pioneer and innovator. You know, we, we got a client who's the actual rocket scientist right now and this kind of stuff, maybe he'd be interested in it, but most of our clients probably not. Well, that you're you're exactly right. When you look at um, uh, the way that you build homes around the world, your case in point, um, North America is really the only country and region that builds stick frame houses. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world builds cementaceous type homes, either poured or cinder or something along those lines. And you look at the longevity and strength of a concrete home. If you build your walls out of concrete, leave the in place, uh, like for example, the most common type of, of a concrete home is a, a in place, um, um, 
styrene block that you fill with reinforcing bar and concrete and you get that thermal mass on the wall well that's only two percent of the houses in in the u.s for example are built with concrete but you go to europe and almost all of them are built that way you know we look at a house lasting 40 50 years they want a house that lasts two three hundred years and so you have that but to your point about the rocket scientists and willing to pay for the innovation of the two percent of the houses that do 80 percent of the people who buy a cementitious home or structural engineers or architects yeah because <laughs> they get it they know it but they're, they're willing to pay the additional cost to have something that's slightly better because they understand the science my point your point of it is austin's a great market there's so much talent and innovation and engineers and and smart people that are moving in here they're going to start asking for the better stuff they want to know well what is the cost what's my what's my return on that and am i making it better and i i I think this market probably more than any in the country would be is is ripe for innovation so would you be building a cementitious house if you're building a house right now um, I would, yes. Yeah. We talked about that before. What what type of system would you go with? Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's it, it's available, there's uh, there's gray block, there's the regular styrene. I, I, I just like the, the in-place styrene blocks. There's The technology's been around. There again, it's going back. Keep it simple, stupid. It, yeah. it, it, it works well. The insulation stays in place. Uh, uh, it's easy to work with. You can find a lot of guys who are comfortable with stacking the blocks, leveling, pouring the concrete properly. It's like anything else. It only works well if it's done correctly. And that's true of a stick frame home, a concrete home, uh, a a traditional cinder block type home. It has to be done right for it to be functional as well too. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're obviously a, a history buff. You know, you're you know, your stuff. I mean, I'm curious how we, how do we end up here? So the rest of the world builds cementitious for the most part. And we've been, I'm trying to think, I mean, we've been building with wood framing for the, I mean, several hundred years here. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that divergence happened. I mean, you think it was just cheaper to settle the, the frontier with Wood structures, or how'd that go? It's, it's availability of materials. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, going back to, you know, when when Daniel Boone went over to the Cumberland Gap, you know, <laughs> he needed a shelter. He yeah. cut down some trees and made a log cabin, right? Yeah. And, and I think the same thing when, and even when I, I've used the, the Thomas Jefferson, I mean, if anyone's ever not been to Monticello, you need to do yourself a favor and go there. It's just phenomenal. The, the, and he did all the, the actual architecture himself and designed it, including the sash. He has triple hung windows that were very innovative at the time as well, too. And he designed all those things, the, the, the weights and pulley systems, everything. He designed dumb waiters in the house. Phenomenal. But he used all Virginia pine and Virginia oak and mm-hmm. Virginia cherry in the house because that was the material that's available. And we have, as, as I look out the, the windows of your beautiful office here, all I see is trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and it makes a very good, um, available, and inexpensive building material. And so in, until that, that, I guess, paradigm 
switches over where people can build homes faster, cheaper out of cementation products, it probably won't happen because we're trying constantly, how can we take cost out of this? How can we make it more affordable for the average consumer? Not how do we add 5% more cost into this and make it better? We got to get out of our own way as an industry. We got to start asking, how can we, for maybe neutral, how can we make it better than this constant mentality? How can we take another five cents out of this product? And, yeah. and that's really our, our, our industry. So we, we got to get out of our own way. I think one of the big things, too, is that, you know, we, in using wood and using trees, you know, things like that, we're actually using something that is replenishable. So there's, it's literally as long as someone is taking the time to replant for every tree they take down, we'll never run out of it. There are multiple very large multi-billion dollar window companies across the U.S. right now that own lots of trees on their own, or even if they don't, they make it a point and part of their mission to say, you know, for every 20 trees we cut down to make a window, we're replanting 40. Yeah. And they just continue those efforts. That, that's a great point, Carrie, and it is. It's a, it's a, it's, it's renewable resource as well, too. Yeah. Uh, and that's the way, and people, because as Carrie said, we're not cutting down 300 year old live oak trees that are beautiful and been in the park forever. These are trees that were engineered for fast growth and stable building products and have been planted and replanted by by good companies out there like gelled wind like sierra pacific etc that are good stewards of the forest as well too and they own those lands and it is a renewable resource and 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 it makes a good it makes a good product the only downside of wood is it makes better furniture and decorative appliances than it does actual structure because you you do have to to treat it and they've done a much better job of engineering lumber which which lasts better it it doesn't take on as much moisture it's it's it it helps fight off insects because in north america we have we have termites and we have moisture both of those things are the enemy of wood as Mm -hmm. well too yeah well and, and one um interesting trend away from concrete right now is that it's gotten so much attention as a, a, um, a climate change driver. Uh, I didn't realize it until recently and I saw something on it and, and was blown away by the amount uh, of carbon that, that producing concrete creates. And I know there's a huge push right now to try to figure out how to lessen that. And hopefully we can, because obviously the, the entire planet is built for a large part on, on concrete. So we got to, we got to figure that out, figure out some sort of more carbon neutral way to produce it. Agreed. Uh, there's a, I need to share with our audience. There's a, a really cool video that I think maybe, I don't know, was it the, I can't remember, but one of the big, uh, one of the big news networks produced recently and talking about, uh, talking about kind of the stats and numbers behind it. It's pretty fascinating. So on the cost and we can wrap it up after this, but uh, I wanted to ask you this. So one of the things that it seems like 
keeps us keeps this inertia from happening with progress. So we've got a lot of idealists in our industry, uh, oftentimes architects, and and I got some good architect buddies who are idealists and want to build these amazing energy efficient sustainable homes, which is a great a great end to try to pursue. But oftentimes it doesn't make sense because it's kind of this this push and pull and like what we saw or like what we've been talking about. I mean, homes are already so unaffordable. By the time you start talking to people about spending another even five, ten percent on their home, they start pushing back when it when it involves, yeah, so you can have a more sustainable home, but you need to spend another ten percent. Most people will run away from it and they'll say, no, let's just do what's what's normal. And so that creates a lot of inertia. And my opinion is pretty basic. And I'm curious how this aligns with your thinking, but it seems like to get past that and to actually really implement, you know, uh, societally changing type innovations, we need one of two things. We, the simple thing is, uh, is technology advancement to drive costs down. And then that's, that's, you know, that's easy, but that's also, as we're talking about, that's, you know, hard at the same time, because, uh, it's hard to, hard to push through with these exponential innovations. They take time. It's like the photosensitive glass. It might be a year from now. It might be 10 years from now, but technology is obviously one of the easy answers. Keep advancing the technology and that can help drive, drive costs down. The other side of this to me is just, is to codify different requirements. So in the energy code, the building code, to codify it. And, uh, of course, then that requires now all of a sudden it kind of raises a bar to where you're probably going to increase cost, but it would achieve this end goal of kind of, uh, of some more, uh, I don't want to say innovative, but, but more energy efficient homes. Do you think it's that simple or do you think there's more angles to it? Well, I think there's 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 a lot of I don't think it's very simple because I agree with you, Jerry. If it was simple, we'd already have the solution now. Yeah. And you brought up a, a, a really good point. You you had asked me earlier if I'd build a concrete home, and the answer is yes. Uh because long term it's gonna save the thermal mass of the wall. I'm gonna use less carbon by by building with that on an ongoing basis. However, I, use, I put a huge carbon footprint on the creation of my mm-hmm. concrete wall and the expanded polystyrene to make the form and provide the insulation as well, too. So it's all up front, and then the savings goes over time. But there, you could argue which one's worse or which one's better for the environment, and you'd both be right. <laughs> and so it's not just simple as is, is, right. is that, right? I think the same is true with with a lot of the energy codes, though the intention is well-meeting, sometimes the end results you, you in California leads the way. We're going to force so many cars to be electric. We're going to force uh, title, I think it's, uh, correct me if it's either title 24 or title 25, the new energy codes out in California. So yeah. it's, it's one of those two. Yeah. But, you know, the intention is it's going to drive. Now you have to have below a 2.9 U factor on all your building products. That's great. You're going to make a much more energy efficient home, but you're going to, as you said, you're going to cause us, the manufacturer, to use 
more expensive products to get that savings, we're going to, a lot of times, have a much larger carbon footprint to produce those products to get the year in. So it's pay me now, pay me later. The intentions are well, but we, over time, we have to determine uh, was it a good decision or not. So it's not as just simple as, as legislating like energy codes in the building because it's not that simple because a lot of times the intent ends up not being the net result as well. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. All right. Well, to wrap this up, so we we talked on the RAM doors. That's one of y'all's big new announcements. Anything else we need to hit on and share with the, the audience before, uh, before we wrap it up and go to lunch? Uh, no, not, not, not anything other than uh, those are the products that we see a big demand for. We're excited about them. Uh, uh, we think we brought a, a lot of new innovation and new design uh, work in, out into the marketplace that people will like. But uh, I guess I would put it back on you, Jared, you and your customers. Tell me what it is you can't get right now, and then we'll work hard to figure out a way to build it for you. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys solved one big thing with the doors, that's for sure. Appreciate um, that. All right. So if somebody isn't using RAM and wants to reach out to you guys, which I think everybody should, because you guys do ship outside of Texas, even though you're primarily based in Texas. Options are showrooms in Houston, Austin, Dallas. Just reach out to, to anyone. Is that right? Yes. Uh, the best place we, we, we have, uh, as you mentioned, our factories in Houston, Texas. We have our main showroom there, but we also have sales and distribution offices in, in Austin and Dallas. And really, uh, just look us up on uh, the web is the best way to get in contact with us. Just uh, ram.com. Yeah. And um, we'd love to uh, be your window provider. Good. They can reach out to Carrie too. I just don't want too many people to. We got to have time for us. Exactly. All right. Well, Eric, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate you having me.